<clears throat> Turn with me this morning to Ezra chapter 7. Ezra chapter 7. <clears throat> you may um, have given thought to this, and, and maybe it hasn't occurred to you yet, but we're reading a, a book and, and studying a book um, that is titled with the name Ezra. Yet in these first six chapters that we've read together and studied together, we haven't met anybody by the name of Ezra. Um, what's the deal, right? What gives? Why do we have a book named after a guy who isn't in the first six chapters of the story? Well, we will meet um, Ezra today in this passage in, in chapter 7. But you'll remember that uh, God has called his people from Babylon. They sinned, that generation that uh, worshipped idols and forsook the Lord. They broke the covenant. They disobeyed. And God said, if you do not obey, if you do not turn back, if you don't forsake your idols, you'll be carried off into captivity, into Babylon. And you'll be there for 70 years. And sure enough, they didn't take God at his word. They didn't heed the message of the prophets. And they kept worshipping their idols. And God true to his word, carried the people off into captivity. He delivered them into the hands of their enemies, and they were in bondage. And even though there was a generation that once knew the Lord, that worshipped him as, as they ought, uh, a generation came and they no longer did, and they experienced the judgment of God. Well, then those 70 years come around, and uh, Cyrus the king is, has been shown the word of God and, and what God has promised to do for Israel, and he just feels compelled to fulfill that promise, and he sends them back. He says, go back, build your temple, build your cities, and worship God just like he's commanded you to. So Zerubbabel, the, the leader and, and the one in the line of David who would be king among them, leads back about 50,000 people to Jerusalem. 50,000 people sounds like a lot, but compared to the number of Jews that were in Babylon, it really was just a small portion of the people. And we talked then, as we looked at those passages, how that in every generation, attention must be given, a, a refocus must happen to make sure that God is worshipped as He ought to be in each generation. And so even though their fathers had once worshipped him, they fell away and they were carried off into captivity. Now the people come back and worship must be reestablished in this generation. And they come and they, they begin the work of building the temple and they build the altar and start worshipping God right away. And they lay the foundations of the temple and the people are rejoicing and God is doing a, a great work, a wonderful work. But of course, any time that God does a good work, you face opposition. Any time that God is doing something good, the devil wants to stop it or hinder it or counterfeit it even. And so the people come along, the enemies of the Jews, and they say, oh, well, why don't you let us help you in your work? And the Zerubbabel and the leaders, they say, no way. We are God's people. We're here to do God's work. You don't have any part with us. So since they couldn't uh, come in and, and contaminate the work from the inside, they decided to oppose it outwardly and, and straightforwardly. And they sent letters to the king and said, these people are, are going to turn against you. They're, they're rebellious people. They won't pay taxes. You'll lose influence and money and power if you let them go on building their houses and their temple. Uh, we need to put a stop to this. So the king sends the letter back and says, yeah, by all means, stop the work. 
So the enemies of the Jews come in by armed force and they, they stop the work of God on the temple. And the work ceased for about 15 years. The people built their own houses and they lived in their own houses. And then finally the prophets came along, Haggai and Zechariah, and said, Listen, what are you doing? You've got your own houses to live in. Your, your things are, are doing well, but the house of God is in ruins. You didn't come here just to build a nice house for yourself. You came here to establish worship, to rebuild the temple. And so Zerubbabel and the, the leaders, they, they took up their tools and they went back to work. And God blessed them and they were able to finish the work of the temple. Well now, between verse 22 of chapter 6 and verse 1 of chapter 7, another period of time has passed of about 58 years. 58 years. A lot can happen in 58 years. And where, just like in, in, in Zerubbabel's generation, worship had to be reestablished and they rebuilt the temple and things seemed to be running smoothly, now we come back again 58 years later and we're in need of, in need of renewal yet again. Because they have the temple, they have the altar, they're able to bring their sacrifices, they're able to go about the outward motions of religion, the outward motions of worship, but they need a renewal now of the heart. And so God raises up another man. Verse seven, or chapter 7 verse 1 says, Now after these things, in the reign of Artaxerxes, king of Persia, Ezra... The son of Sariah, the son of Azariah, the son of Hilkiah, the son of Shalom, the son of Zadok, the son of Ahitub, the son of Amariah, the son of Azariah, the son of Mariath, the son of Zerahiah, the son of Uzi, the son of Buhi, the son of Abishua, the son of Phineas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the chief priest. Doesn't that bless your soul? <laughs> that just does something for you, doesn't it? This Ezra, verse 6 says, the one that came from that lineage and, and all those names. Why does that matter? Well, you remember earlier when they first came back to Jerusalem, there were a lot of people who had no idea who their family was. They had no, even if they, they, they knew, maybe they were told by their parents and their grandparents, they didn't have any way to prove it. But what's significant about Ezra's lineage? He comes ultimately here from the Aaron, the chief priest. In order to serve as a scribe or as a, a priest, a worker in the temple, you had to be able to prove your lineage. You had to prove where you came from. And so this is included in Scripture, not just to bore you with unimportant details, but to show that Ezra came from the line of Aaron. He was qualified to be a spiritual leader in Israel by their own law. He, while others couldn't prove where they came from, Ezra could. Verse 6 says, this Ezra came up from Babylon. So he apparently, his family didn't come with that initial migration from Babylon back to Jerusalem. So he comes up from Babylon. And here's something interesting about Ezra. He was skilled. He was a skilled scribe in the law of Moses, which the Lord God of Israel had given. Now this is a skill that doesn't just come naturally by birth. Sure, some people are born with a certain capacity for learning and an ability to study and to retain knowledge. And we, I praise God for people like that. But in order to have the kind of skill that Ezra had with the Word of God, he had to put time, effort, energy into the study of the Word of God. 
And it says that the king granted him all his requests. Now these just seem like random facts that are all being thrown together just to introduce Ezra to us. But Ezra is qualified to be a spiritual leader because he's of the line of Aaron, the chief priest. He's got a knowledge, a working knowledge, a skill in knowing the law of God. It's not just the law of Moses, but it says the law of Moses, which the Lord God had given. He knew what God had said. And now he's been granted favor with the king. And we don't know exactly what position Ezra had uh, in Babylon, but he was apparently some kind of diplomat with access to the king. And the scripture says that the king granted him all his requests. Now you think about living in the court of a pagan king. There are probably a lot of people who have a lot of requests. And people all the time coming and, King, could you do this? King, you've got all the power. Can you do this? Can you fix this? Can you give me this grant? Can you build this? Can you, you, know, you know how politics works. You see it on the news. Everybody's got their own agenda. Everybody's got things they want to accomplish. And everybody's probably waiting just for the ideal time to bring their request to the king when he's in a good mood, he's having a good day, you, you know, you got a good report on the work that you're doing, you're going to bring your request. But here we find out that Ezra isn't just strategically waiting around to try to find out when he can ask the king the things he wants, but we're told that the king grants him all his requests. God has granted him that kind of favor with the king in Babylon that he receives all his requests according to what? The hand of the Lord his God upon him. And that's an important statement, and we'll see it again, so just tuck it away for now and we'll come back to it. The king granted him all his requests according to the hand of the Lord his God upon him. Some of the children of Israel, the priests, the Levites, the singers, the gatekeepers, the Nethanim, came to Jerusalem in the seventh year of King Artaxerxes. And so we read that Ezra is now leading another group of people from Babylon to Jerusalem. And it took him about four months to get there. Verse 11 We'll come back to verse 10 in a moment. But verse 11 gives us a, 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 the beginning of a copy of this letter that the king wrote to Ezra. It says, This is a copy of the letter the king Artaxerxes gave Ezra the priest, the scribe, experts in the words of the commandments of the Lord and of his statutes to Israel. Verse 12, Artaxerxes, king of kings. Yeah, that's what he thinks, right? To Ezra, the priest, a scribe of the law of the God of heaven. Now when you just take those two names side by side, you've got Artaxerxes, self-proclaimed king of kings, and you've got Ezra, the priest, a scribe of the law of the God of heaven. I just want to let you know that Ezra has the more revered title. Ezra's position is much better, much greater than that of King Artaxerxes. Because while he sees himself as king of kings, as ruler over all the earth, the great king... He might look at Ezra and say, oh, he's just a priest. He's just a scribe. He just studies that old book. Let me tell you, the people who study that old book are the people who are really of value in the world. They're the ones that God really uses. Verse 13, just to give you a summary of this letter here, we'll work through it. And I issued a decree uh, that all those of the people of Israel and the priests and the Levites in my realm who volunteer to go up to Jerusalem may go with you. So the first part of this, uh, this decree is that he's giving permission for the people who want to go back to Jerusalem to go back to Jerusalem. Whereas you're being sent by the king and his seven counselors to inquire concerning Judah and Jerusalem with regard to the law of your God which is in your hand. 
And whereas you are to carry the silver and the gold which the king and his counselors have freely offered to the God of Israel, whose dwelling is in Jerusalem, and whereas all the silver and gold that you may find in all the province of Babylon, along with the freewill offering of the people and the priests, are to be freely offered to the house of their God in Jerusalem. In verse 17, so you can buy bulls and rams and goats and provide sacrifices to your God in Jerusalem. So the first part of the command is that they may go back. Verse um, 21, the second part of the decree is, we want to help you pay for it. This sounds familiar, doesn't it? It's sort of like the second verse of the same song that we've, heard, that we've already heard. Verse 21 says, I, even I, Artaxerxes, uh, the king, issue a decree to all the treasurers who are in the region beyond the river, that whatever Ezra the priest, the scribe of the law of the God of heaven, may require of you, let it be done diligently, up to 100 talents of silver. And you guys that have been in our discipleship group the last few weeks, you know a talent is a lot. 100 talents of silver, 100 cores of wheat, 100 baths of wine, 100 baths of oil, and salt without prescribed limit. Whatever is commanded by the God of heaven, whatever God says you must bring, let it diligently be done for the house of the God of heaven. For why should there be any wrath against the realm of the king and his sons? Now there's a little slip in about the king's motivation. He doesn't want any wrath, any anger from the God of Israel on his kingdom. And so he's sending them back. He's giving them permission. He's giving them what they need to pay for it. Verse 24, I think we ought to just throw this one out there. Also, we inform you that it shall not be lawful to impose tax, tribute, or custom on any of the priests, Levites, singers, gatekeepers, Nethanim, or servants of this house of God. So people in ministry don't have to pay taxes. I personally like that idea. Verse 25, And Ezra, according to your God-given wisdom, set magistrates and judges who may judge all the people who are in the region beyond the river, all such as know the laws of your God, and teach those who do not know them. Now listen, he's sending them to give them permission to go back to the land. He's decreed that they have money to pay for it. And now he decrees that they have the authority to enforce the laws of God. He says, Whoever will not observe the law of your God, verse 26, the law of the king, let judgment be executed speedily on him, whether it be death or banishment or confiscation of goods or imprisonment. Now this is just what we saw from Darius last time, uh, all over again. And it's as if God through all of these things is making sure that they have everything that they need to do what he's calling them to do. And I think that's just a point that we have to drive home and remind ourselves all the time. Whatever God calls his people to do, he will provide the means to do it. What is it that God has for this church to do? What is it that God has for you as an individual Christian to do? What opportunities, open doors, ministries has He placed before you? What opportunities is He placing before us that He wants us to do that we're hesitant to do because we don't know if we have the means or the ability to do it? I think one thing that we can learn from Cyrus, from Darius, from Artaxerxes, these pagan kings who care nothing about God, somehow, all of a sudden, just want to provide everything these people need so that they can worship God. It goes back once again to the fact that the heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord, and like rivers of water, he turns it wherever he wishes. God is the sovereign over this nation. God is the sovereign over this world. And any action by any king or president or prime minister or dictator only happens because it has been ordained by the hand of our sovereign God. And God will provide everything he needs 
for his people to do what he has called them to do. But God is doing a work. There's a renewal that needs to happen again in Jerusalem. They're, they're doing the outward workings of religion, but they need revival of the heart. They need renewal in their heart. And so God sends Ezra. And I just wanted to give you that summary of what's happening, but really I want to focus in on one verse here. Because all throughout this passage, we see over and over and over again that the hand of the Lord is on Ezra. The hand of the Lord is on Ezra. The good hand of the Lord was with Ezra. And when next week we get to chapter 8, we're going to see that again and again and again. That the hand of the Lord was upon him. That sounds like a really good thing. When you read about the hand of the Lord in, in the scriptures, that usually refers to his power, his strength, his ability. And the work that Ezra is going to do isn't a work that Ezra can accomplish in his own strength. You see, Ezra is skilled in the law of God. He's skilled in knowing what God's word says. But Ezra can't touch a person's heart. I can study the scriptures and I can prepare sermons and I can stand here and preach to you until I have no more breath. But I cannot, I cannot touch your heart. I cannot change your affections. I can't control what you love. All I can do and all you can do for the people in your circle of influence is to tell them what God has said. We need the hand of God upon us. We want to do ministry. We want to reach our community. We want people to be saved. We want to baptize new believers. We want to make disciples. But we can't do any of that unless the hand of the Lord is upon us. You read through the book of Acts. They met for prayer. And the Bible says that the hand of the Lord was upon them. And what was the outcome? Many came to believe in the Jesus that they preached. When the hand of the Lord was upon the church in Acts, many people became Christians. Many people heard the word of God and were saved. Is the hand of the Lord upon us? Do we see his power at work? Do we see people being saved? What is it about Ezra that sets him apart? What, what makes him unique? And there's no formula for co co convincing God or coercing God to put his hand upon you. There's no, okay, God, I'm going to do this and this and this, and you have to do this. It's not how this works. But what sets Ezra apart that the hand of the Lord was upon him? And I think the answer to that is in verse 10. Because verse 9 concludes, says it was according to the good hand of his God upon him. Verse 10 begins with a word. What is it? Four. Your translation might say now, but I think four is probably the best thing there. Four, because, for this reason, the good hand of, the, of God was upon him. For Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord, to do it, and to teach statutes and ordinance in Israel. Ezra's life was centered on the Word of God. It was centered on the law of the Lord, everything that God had commanded. And you've got those three infinitives there in that verse. To seek or to study the law of the Lord, to do it, and to teach it. Study it, do it, teach it. Study it, do it, teach it. Say it with me. Ready? Study it, do it, teach it. Does that sound like anything you've ever heard before? 
All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the world. We need to know what God has said. He's given us His Word. We must study it. And in turn, we must do it. And as we do it, God will provide opportunities, put people in our path, and we should teach it. Don't hoard it to yourself. Study it, do it, teach it. The power isn't in us. The power is in the law of the Lord. The power is in God's Word. Psalm 19. You're familiar with it, but listen. These are just a lot of different ways to talk about the law of the Lord or God's Word. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. Listen, this is the Word of God. More to be desired are they, the words of God, more to be desired are they than gold. Yes, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned, and in keeping them, oh, that's the doing, there is great reward. That's the Word of God. Listen, Ezra had five books. We've got 66. Say, oh yeah, we got that much more we got to learn and read and study. Yeah, we've got that much more we can learn and read and study. We have the Word of God. We have to be students of the Word of God. And then we have to not, as James says, only be hearers of the Word, but be doers of the Word. Jesus said, if you love me, you will what? Keep my commandments. Don't tell me you love Jesus if you're willing to disobey what He's clearly taught. What is it that Jesus has clearly said that you have convinced yourself there's an exception for you? Yes, I know Jesus said that. Yes, the Bible says this. But for me, this is reality. You don't know my circumstances. You don't know my situation or my family, my financial situation, whatever it is. What is it that Jesus has clearly taught? What is it that God has commanded in His Word that you're making excuses and exceptions for, for yourself? Don't just be a hearer of the word, be a doer of the word. Because if you tell me that you love Jesus, but you won't obey his commandments, you're a liar. You don't love him. Ezra prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord, to do it, to teach statutes and ordinance in Israel. That's what we're trying to do through our discipleship groups. That's what we ought to be trying to do in our personal relationships. That's what we ought to be doing as parents and grandparents with our children and grandchildren. Looking for opportunities to teach what God is teaching us. If you spend time in the Word of God, God will show you things. He's going to show you your own sin, and that's a good thing, because you've got an opportunity to get clean, to make things right with Him. He's showing you what to do, what is His will. And when you obey it, when you're studying the Word of God and when you're obeying it, He's going to provide opportunities to pass on what you're learning to someone else. 
I've been thankful to hear about some of that just this morning, about opportunities that God has given. When you spend time in His Word in the morning, and then later that day He opens a door, and you get to talk about it to somebody. But there's one main verb here that's been, that I've skipped. So we've got those infinitives, right? To seek, or study, to, to do it, and to teach it. But what really is the, the, main, the main part here, the main verb? What did Ezra do? He prepared his heart. He prepared his heart. You see, you can, you can study the Bible cold, calloused, mundane, just as a machine working and doing what it's supposed to do. You can come to the Word of God and say, you know what, i got to read my Bible this morning, better to get to it. You read your Bible, you check the box and say, yep, I read my Bible today, moving on. And it has no impact on your living. You've not met with God, you've just checked a box. You can even do what God's Word has said and not be right with God. See, Pharisees, they studied the Word of God. They knew what was in God's law. They knew it better than anybody else. They had committed it to memory. Outwardly, they were functioning obediently. They were Now, they did a whole lot of other things besides that, but they were obeying what God had said in His Word. They were doing it outwardly, as far as people could see. The Pharisees aren't really, haven't really come along yet, but that's what's happening in Israel now. They've got their temple, and they're going about the, the motions of worship in the temple. They're doing the right things, but their hearts are not right. They haven't prepared their hearts. Friends, that's what it comes down to. It comes down to the preparation of your heart before God in humility. Saying, God, I need to hear from you in your word today. I told the guys this morning in our class, listen, we're not just sitting down just to read our Bibles in the morning, but we sit down to read our Bibles and to pray, I want you to meet with God. Jesus died so that you could have fellowship with the Father by the Holy Spirit. Is your time in the Word and in prayer fellowship? Do you feel like you've had a conversation, that you've been with someone when you walk away from your Bible? Friends, we have to prepare our hearts to study the Word. We have to prepare our hearts to do what it says. We have to prepare our hearts to teach it. I can tell you what the Bible says with a sinful heart. I've probably even done it. You can teach a Sunday school class. You can lead a discipleship group. You can read a Bible story with your kids and your heart be far from God. May God help us to prepare our hearts before Him. I want, to, I want to show you a New Testament passage that this reminds me of. 2 Timothy 2. Go ahead and turn there. 2 Timothy 2. So it's not just about studying. It's not just about doing. It's not just about teaching, though it is those things. But it's about doing those things with a prepared heart. Listen to 2 Timothy chapter 2. And Paul's writing to Timothy. He's a young pastor. He's trying to study the Word of God. He's trying to do it and obey it. He's trying to teach it to the people in the church. Here's what he says. Verse 15. You know this verse. The old King James says, Study to show thyself approved. Right? Here it says, verse 15. Be diligent to present, what? Yourself approved to God. 
A worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Now, usually we look at that verse and we jump straight to studying the word of God. We want to rightly divide the word of truth, and we do. But the thing that he tells us to be diligent to do, the thing he tells us to study to do, isn't first rightly dividing the word of truth, but it's first presenting ourselves as a proof to God. It's a work in our own heart, handling the Word of God without letting it affect your soul, without letting it change your heart and conform you to the image of Jesus, is useless. He says, present yourselves approved to God as workers that don't need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the Word of truth. Handle the, God, handle the Word of God with a prepared heart. He says, shun profane and idle babblings. They will increase to more ungodliness. He talks about Hymenaeus and Philetus who strayed. But in verse 19, he says this, Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands, having this seal. The Lord knows those who are His, and let everyone who names the Christ depart from iniquity. The Lord knows those who belong to Him. And if you say that you belong to Him, if you really belong to Him, you must flee sin. You must allow yourself to be exposed before God and to ask Him to search your heart and to, to know you and to see if there's any wicked way in you that you may be led into the way everlasting. When we come to the Word of God, it's useless just to do Bible study and to, and to uh, in an outward way, obey and to try to teach it to other people if we're not letting it affect our own hearts. Prepare yourself. Present yourself as a proof to God. Depart from iniquity. He talks in verse 20 and 21 about vessels of, of honor and vessels of dishonor. Some vessels are, are made of, of wood and some of gold and silver. I mean, you, you, you put this in your own terms. You've got cups in your house. You've got things that hold water that are really nice and they're, they're glass and they're fancy and you only get them out when certain people come over, right? And on the normal days when you have dinner, you get out the red Solo cups so you don't have to wash dishes. You can throw it away. And then there's this other vessel in your house that holds water that only the dog drinks out of. You, you see what I mean? There's this, this spectrum of, of items that, that do the same thing, but in different capacities at different times and in different ways. And friends, each of us, if, if we have been born again, we are vessels for God's use in His house. Some for our vessels of honor. Some are the, the fine china that only get taken out and used on special occasions and really are, are there for a, a special purpose. You know, some of us are just the, the red solo cups. I'm okay with being a red solo cup in God's house. The everyday use. Just put me to use and then when you're done, throw me away and take me to heaven. What about that other vessel? Friends, I want to be a vessel that's set aside for honorable use in God's house. Therefore, verse 21, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the master, 
prepared for every good work. Ezra was used by God. The hand of God was upon him. Why? Because his heart was prepared for it. Friends, if you want to be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the master, you have to cleanse yourself. You have to depart from iniquity. He said in verse 22, flee also youthful lusts. Run away from sin. You don't have to be young to have youthful lusts. Flee from it. Run from it. Pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Friends, Ezra was used by God. God's hand was upon him. But God only puts his hand on those who have prepared their hearts. I'm not asking you if you're doing the right things. I'm not asking you if, you're, if you've got a Bible reading plan. I'm not asking you if you're serving in the church. I'm asking you, is your heart clean? Is it prepared? Is it right before God? Is there sin in your life that you know is there or that God's shown it to you this morning and you need to repent and turn away from it? Cleanse yourself. Flee youthful passions. Present yourself approved to God, useful to Him for every good work. Friends, I want the hand of God upon me. I want the hand of the Lord on this church and I want us to be used by Him to bring renewal and revival and awakening. I want to see sinners saved. And I want to see Christians living faithfully and obediently according to the Word of God. God will do that through us if we will cleanse ourselves and present ourselves to Him as useful for every good work. And it might just be that you're living in sin because you don't love Him at all. And you just need to be born again. And my words to you is the same as my word to everybody else. Repent. Put your trust in Jesus. Would you bow with me and pray? Father, my words are useless unless you use them. Your, your word is what's powerful. And so I pray that your word would take root in us. Cleanse us, O oh God, of our sins. Pray that your people would confess their faults before you even now this morning and repent. That we would present ourselves to you as vessels for your service, whatever it is you have for us. Lord, I pray that your work would be done in our hearts. In Jesus' name. Amen.